Thank you, Joy, for that reminder. Take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Obviously, the Gospel of John focuses on the topic of truth because it focuses on the person of truth, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And so this is very comforting for us because we're living in a day and age when it seems like it's hard to know what the truth even is. Um, our world today is inundated with lies and deception. And no wonder, considering the God of this world, Satan himself, has been just called by Jesus in the verses right before this, the father of all lies. Uh, I can't help but think, uh, don't you get irritated? That's probably not a strong enough word there, but irritated when you see the news and you know that's what, what's being reported or you maybe hear interviews of people who have believed blatant lies and you think, what are they thinking? Don't they know? You know recently there was a, um, a, a purported bombing of a hospital in the Gaza Strip by the Israelis. And uh, Hamas is promoting this. Israelis are so terrible. They bombed this hospital. They sent a missile strike there. And they got all the nations around all worked up about how bad Israel is. Of course, they forgot to tell about how Hamas actually invaded Israel and did far worse. But Israel did this. And then come to find out, no, actually Israel didn't do that. That was actually a missile that Hamas, or the Islamic Jihad, had fired. It didn't go too well, landed in a parking lot, exploded by the hospital. And it was all lies. All lies to make somebody look bad. To put out a narrative that was false. I'm so thankful that when we come to God's word, we can know what the truth is. You know, put everything, kind of calm everything, put everything to the side, what you hear on the news and all this stuff, and just come to God's Word. Okay, what does God say? And you can go to the bank with that. This is truth. Today we're going to be looking at the person of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is either a demon or deity. He's either a demon or he's deity. There's really only two choices here. And what's interesting is the people who are listening to Jesus understand that in our text this morning. And so the question comes to us, who is Jesus? Is Jesus a demon? Or is he God? Well, let's take a look at our passage here. In John chapter 8, beginning in verse 48. John 8, 48. Then answered the Jews, and they said unto him, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil? Jesus answered, I have not a devil, a demon. But I honor my father, and ye do dishonor me. And I seek not mine own glory, 
There is one that seeketh and judgeth. Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. Then said the Jews unto him, Now we know thou hast the devil, a demon. Abraham is dead, and the prophets, and thou sayest, if a man keep my saying, he shall never taste of death? Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead, and the prophets are dead? Who makest thou thyself? Who do you think you are? Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father that honoreth me, of whom ye say that he is your God. Yet ye have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say, I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you. But I know him, and keep his saying. Your father Abraham rejoiced, to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? And Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. Then took they up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went up out of the temple going through the midst of them, and so passed by. A demon or deity? When presented with truth, Jesus' audience really had no answer, so they just attacked his person, this old ad hominem uh, tactic. Well, you're just a bad person, because they had no content. But when it comes right down to it, you cannot say that Jesus is a good moral teacher. You cannot say merely that Jesus is one of the prophets. I was talking with somebody this morning. They had a, had a conversation with a Muslim recently. And they said, well, we don't believe that Jesus is God. He's just one of the prophets. Well, the Bible doesn't give you that option. God, Jesus, is not simply a moral teacher. If he's not God, then he wasn't a very moral teacher because he just taught that he's God. He's a liar. In fact, C.S. Lewis kind of boiled it down to this. This was in a BBC radio broadcast during World War II. And C.S. Lewis made this assertion. It's also found in his book, Mere Christianity. He says, quote, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, about Jesus. This is what people foolishly often say about Jesus. I am ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. 
Now it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. And this morning we have to answer this question for ourselves. Who is Jesus to you? Because that makes all the difference. Not just for life, but for eternity. Is Jesus a fraud? And we'd have to say demonic. Or is he truly God? And if he's God, we ought to worship and serve him. Well, let's take a look at this passage, because in this passage, his audience clearly understood the choice set before him. And they chose the demon option here. Because in verses 48 through 51, they're going to claim that Jesus is narcissistic. It's all about him. He's just looking for the easy way. He's trying to manipulate weak-minded people to follow him, kind of build his own kingdom, whatever. He's narcissistic. Here's their claim, verse 48. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast the devil. Here's the world's claim. Jesus, this whole religion, Christianity, it's just manipulation. Just a crutch. They're trying to use you, abuse you. Samaritan. Well, that was one of the most hurtful insults a Jew could hurl to another Jew. I kind of chuckled the other day. I heard from my daughter that my two granddaughters were kind of fussing with one another. One's eight, one's five. And um, the most hurtful thing the one could think of to say to the other was, you're a chicken nugget. <laughs> well, I'm glad that's the worst hurtful thing they could possibly think of. Under the, now it's not good that they're fussing with one another, but for the Jews, the most hurtful thing, you're a Samaritan. Why did they use that expression? Well, Jesus had just been talking about how it's not the Jews who have this exclusive opportunity to know God. That other people can know God too. Of course, the Samaritans like to focus on that part of it, because they weren't Jews. They were kind of half-breeds. Another reason they may have called Jesus a Samaritan is because the Samaritans' parentage, their heritage, was a little unknown, a little uncertain. And, of course, that was one of the criticisms with Jesus. Being born of a virgin, uh, who's really your father here in all of this? But I think perhaps they also called him a Samaritan because the Jewish belief that Samaritans were lax in their observation of the law. Unlike the Jews who lived like perfectly trying to keep every point of the law, the Samaritans were like, eh, we're not so careful about that. They kind of would pick and choose, observe what they wanted, live the way they chose. And they're looking at Jesus who ate grain on the Sabbath didn't wash his hands before he ate? He actually had feasts with sinful people? 
He was called a glutton and a wine-bibber. I mean, this Jesus, he's kind of like a Samaritan. It's just all about him. Parties, don't care, I'm above the law. He's just narcissistic. Of course, along with this, they called him as being having a devil, a demon. And this was, uh, actually, this was a common um, charge they threw at Jesus because they didn't have anything else to say. So they just basically said, you're crazy. You're demon-possessed. You're a demon. This is what they even said about John the Baptist, right? Matthew eleven eighteen. For John came neither eating or drinking, and they say he has a devil. So this is kind of a common thing, like, ah, you're, you're out of your mind, you're crazy. So the world claims that Jesus is narcissistic at best, or crazy. Perhaps insecure in his parentage, trying to prove himself, kind of like the Samaritans. He manipulates weak-minded people looking for, who are looking for a charismatic follower, uh, a person to follow. Huh. But these Jews, they are well-educated. They're well-bred. They're logical. They're not going to be taken in by this fraud, this demon. It's all about Jesus. Oh, right? No, he's narcissistic. We're not going to follow him. That's the world's claim. But let's look at the solid evidence in verses 49 to 51. First of all, narcissists, hard to say that word, narcissists, Honor themselves. That's why they're narcissists. But what does, who does Jesus honor? Verse 49. And Jesus answered, first of all, I have not a devil. I love how Jesus answers. He's, he's not reviling those who are reviling him. He's not, they're not getting into a shouting match. You, you're, you're a demon. You have a devil. I don't have a devil. In fact, I honor my father, and you're the ones dishonoring me. Now, by the way, devils or demons, I should say, demons dishonor God. Don't we say that? Wouldn't that be the case? Demons dishonor God. So Jesus is honoring God the Father, and the Jewish people that are not all Jews, but these Jews here, these religious leaders that are challenging Jesus, they're dishonoring Jesus, who's honoring God. So in essence, really, they're dishonoring God. Jesus honors his Father. It's also interesting in this verse, in the Greek, it's a little bit clearer, but when you look again at verse 49, there's an emphasis, I honor my Father, but you, and here's a contrast, there's a stark contrast between Jesus and those who oppose him. Those who oppose Jesus are actually dishonoring God. All right, you say, well, yeah, anybody could say, oh, I, I honor God. I've had people tell me that when they're clearly not honoring God. Oh, yeah, I prayed about that, and I really feel like I ought to sin this way. Like, what? How could, how could this be? So is Jesus really telling the truth? Is he, does he really honor the Father? Let me give you an example from Matthew 26, verse 39. This is in the garden 
of Gethsemane. And Jesus went a little further and fell on his face and he prayed saying, Oh my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. A couple verses later, he went away again a second time and prayed saying, Oh my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. Is there really any question about whether Jesus honored the Father? No. No. Jesus set forth to honor God. Honor the Father. Look at verse, more evidence. Verse 50. Jesus says, And I seek not mine own glory. Is he narcissistic? No. It's not about him. He's not out to seek his own glory. There is one that seeketh and judgeth. Jesus is quick to follow up on his comment that he's not upset with them. He's not demanding his rights. Do you know who I am? You know, if anybody could say that, Jesus could have. But he's not demanding his rights. He's not getting all bent out of shape. You know, this is what narcissists would do, right? People are seeking their way, their ambitions, it's all about them, and you cross them a little bit, they get really upset with you. In fact, in verse 50, when it says, there is one that seeketh and judgeth, ultimately that's going to be referring to God. But I think there's a principle that's also true of narcissists. They, narcissists, seek their own way and are very critical of anybody who gets in their way. A person who's really struggling with pride, and we all do, they've got their own plans, their own direction, they're seeking, they've got their plans, and then you get in their way, they're going to judge. Jesus says, I, I'm not, it's not about me. Why is it that he can be just resting in that? Because he knows there is one, and you could capitalize the one there, one that seeketh and judgeth. This is ultimately, let God be the judge of your life. Only care what he thinks about you. It's interesting, the Jews in their mistaken zeal were constantly seeking out Jesus to discredit him. They were trying to bring glory to God by discrediting Jesus. That was their misunderstanding. So, I kind of asked myself this, and this is a good application for us. So, why didn't God, the Father, change Jesus' circumstances since the Father is righteous and wants righteousness to be exalted and wants to honor those who honor him, why didn't the Father change these circumstances for Jesus? Because he didn't. In fact, Jesus goes on to get the most unfair, unjust treatment of anybody this world has ever seen. You know, sometimes we think to ourselves, well, God, why are the wicked prospering? How come these bad things are happening to me? I mean, bad things were happening to Jesus, right? 
I mean, if Jesus had just been wiser about how he handled things, if he'd just been nicer to people, more loving, you know, of course not. He was as loving and kind and gracious and wise as possible, and really bad things happened to him. Like a cross. But aren't you thankful that the Father still allowed the injustice, even the cross, to happen? Because if it didn't, we would have no hope. Now that very symbol of suffering and shame, the cross, would become the greatest symbol of triumph, of honor. So don't grow disheartened when God seems to allow others to treat you badly. God will ultimately do what's right. You just have to trust his word. That very shameful death that Jesus experienced ended up being the greatest glory ever. Well, more evidence, verse 51. And what's interesting now, they've, they've made this claim you're a narcissist, you're a Samaritan, you've got a deep, you're a demon. So he closes this section by saying, verily, verily, all right? So here is absolute truth. He's going to finish it up here. And by the way, he does this with their second one in verse uh, 58, right? Verily, verily. So you see these two sections here that they make this claim, Jesus counters it with evidence, and then states a very clear truth. Verily, verily, I say unto you, verse 51, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. Here's a fact. Jesus sacrificed for others. Jesus, now narcissists don't do that. But Jesus is not a narcissist. He is the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. He died in my place. The verily, verily, emphasizing the importance, the trustworthiness of this statement that he's about to say. If you accept Jesus, his teaching, his life, his death, his resurrection. And in the Greek, the word death is emphasized here. Literally, death you will not see. Death, you will not see. Why? Because Jesus took the death for you. Jesus took that death. Death is ultimately separation. The death Jesus is talking about ultimately then is separation between us and God. And if that's not taken care of before you physically die, then it will be separation between you and God forever. Eternal death. Because to be separated from God is to be separated from life itself. God is eternal life. So I think specifically Jesus, and we know this, Jesus is specifically referring to spiritual death. But I like how one commentator emphasized kind of a corollary truth. If you again look at verse 51, if a man keep my saying, so if you accept Jesus, the truth of what he's saying, the truth of what he's done, he shall never see death. One commentator put it this way, it's kind of like 
reading a book under a tree in fall, at the fall time. And you're reading this, and you're engrossed in this book, and it's just, it's gripping you. It's a very exciting book. And a leaf falls from the tree and wafts its way down to the ground. And you really don't even notice it. Because it's not that big of a deal. For the Christian, physical death, you don't really even notice it in a way. It's not that big of a deal. Physical death for the Christian is just transition from good to better. From best to more best. John chapter 5, verse 24, a few chapters earlier, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. That's what Jesus is talking about here. If you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, there is therefore no condemnation to them who are in Christ. And if you're not condemned, if your sins are not laid to your charge, you will not be separated from God. You will experience life as he always intended. If you are not connected to God, if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, if your sins have not been forgiven, you may be very healthy physically, but you're dead spiritually. You are not experiencing life as God intends because you're separated from Him. In John chapter 5, verse 44, Jesus, with regard to His opponents, He says, How can ye believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? Here's the thing. Isn't this so true? People who are negative and critical often will judge somebody else when they're just as guilty, if not more. And they're saying to Jesus, you're just narcissistic. You're just out to get people to follow you in your own honor. And Jesus says, oh, no wonder you're not believing me because you're looking for honor from everybody else and not from God. And you cannot believe. So many people have allowed pride, intellectual pride, maybe pride of what others think, keep them from believing and trusting in Jesus Christ. And so in their pride, Jesus' enemies, who sought the approval of the world rather than God, condemned Jesus for being narcissistic, when they themselves were thinking only of their, themselves and their own reputation. But we see in this passage, no, Jesus, he is seeking to glorify God the Father by denying himself, by sacrificing for the sake of others. Jesus appears to be more deity than demon here. All right, well, that leads then now to verse 52. Okay, kind of answered that objection. So verse 52, then said the Jews unto him, now we know... Isn't it interesting? 
we read this and we're like, oh, what a wonderful Savior. And they hear this and they're like, now we know you're a demon. Like, they get, we have the same evidence. It's kind of like creation and evolution, right? And you look at the evidence, you're like, man, there's got to be a creator. And then people who believe in evolution are like, man, there's got to be evolution. And you're looking at the same thing. What, what's going on here? Then said the Jews unto him, now we know that thou hast the devil. Abraham's dead. The prophets. And thou sayest, if any man keep my saying, he shall never taste of death. Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead? And the prophets are dead? Who do you think you are? And so now their claim is that Jesus is delusional. Jesus is delusional. By the way, demons are delusional. Hey, if we keep doing the same thing and failing every single time, maybe we'll win. No. The future is not bright for Satan or his demons, thankfully. Their doom is certain. Their doom is certain. Well, Jesus, he's delusional. Here's their claim. Abraham died. The prophets died. How is it that Jesus' claims that you're never going to die are true? I mean, the people, they followed what Abraham said. They followed what the prophets said, these words from God, and they all died. And you say people follow you and they're not going to die? <laughs> That's delusional. Are you somehow greater than all the rest of these great and godly men? Abraham himself? And by the way, verse 53, the way their question is framed, Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead? What's the expected answer to that question? It'd be like saying today, You're not greater than Abraham, are you? And the expected answer is no. They're framing the question because to them, to say that you're better than Abraham is delusional. You must be demon-possessed. You're a demon. You're crazy. They recognize Jesus' claim to be superhuman. That didn't fit their narrative, so he's a fraud. He's a demon. But again, let's look at the solid evidence. Let's how Je see how Jesus responds. Verse 54. Jesus says, the Father validates me. Jesus answered, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. Okay, it's one thing to say, oh, I'm, you know, if I come to you and say, I'm the best pastor in America. That means nothing. I could say that all I want, but that, that doesn't make it so. And Jesus could say, if I honor myself, big deal. And what does that mean? He says, it is my Father who honors me. My Father honors me. And this Father who honors him is the one they call their God. All right, So there should be some weight here. There should be some legitimacy. If the one they call God is the one who honors Jesus, 
then maybe he's not delusional after all, maybe. Like, well, how do we know the Father honored the Son? Oh, maybe like when this booming voice from heaven says, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And that was a public event when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist with lots of people around who heard that. I mean, a booming voice from heaven, and by the way, the Jews only believe that there's one God, right? A booming voice from heaven. Who is this booming voice from heaven? It's obviously God speaking. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And then obviously the Father is honoring the Son. In Matthew 17, verse 5, Mount of Transfiguration, While he yet spoke, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And we know from Philippians chapter 2 and verse 9 through 11, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, Jesus, and given him, Jesus, a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things on earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That means that one day, you and I are going to kneel and pronounce him Lord and Savior. But also, every member of Hamas is going to bow their knee and declare Jesus Christ to be Lord and Savior. In fact, Satan himself will bow the knee and declare Jesus to be Lord and Savior. Jesus is honored by the Father. He's not delusional. He's honored by the Father. And, verse 55, Jesus has a unique relationship with the Father. Verse 55, Yet ye have not known him. You say that he's your God, but you don't even have a relationship with him. By the way, this would be true for people today. Say, oh yeah, I, I, I believe in God. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. I'm glad you believe in God, but do you have a relationship with God? That's the important thing. Jesus says, but I know him. In fact, if I say I don't know him, I would be lying, just like the rest of you. But I know him. You say, well, how do you... Okay, you can say you know somebody. How do we know that Jesus really knew him? Because he kept his sayings. He obeyed him. He knew what the Father wanted because he knew him so well. And he actually sought to please him. You know, when you have a relationship with somebody, you actually want to please them, right? That's the whole point of the relationship. You're, you're, you're wanting to please them. How does Jesus prove that he knows the Father? He keeps his word. John 8, 29, And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath, hath not left me alone. For I do always those things that please him. You know, this morning, Christian, if you're here today and you say, Oh yeah, I have this, I know God. That's wonderful. Let's seek to please him. Just like Jesus. That's how relationships are strengthened and built 
And who better to have a relationship with than God himself? Verse 56, Jesus is not delusional. He's actually the fulfillment of all of these prophecies down through the millennia. Look at verse 56. Your father Abraham, whom they admire, respect, honor. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it. And he was glad. Abraham embraces me. How come you're not? The prophets foretold Jesus. If Abraham was their father and rejoiced to see Jesus and his ministry, then why weren't these Jews excited? Jesus isn't the delusional one here. Christ's day. All throughout the Old Testament you see this day of the Lord coming. And Jesus, in essence, equates himself with the Lord because it's the day of Christ is the day of the Lord. All right, they're beginning, it's beginning to sink in a little bit to the Jewish people that are opposing him in this conversation that, okay, this is somebody very unique here, claiming to be very unique. How is it that Abraham saw Jesus' day and was glad? You think back, okay, did... I mean, Abraham didn't say, there's coming a man by the name of Jesus one day who will be born in Bethlehem and he will die on a cross. We don't see that in Genesis anywhere. But what we do see are promises from God to Abraham that one of his descendants, and Paul kind of picks up on this in Galatians, a descendant of Abraham would be born that would bless all of the world, that would be the savior of the world. Also, you had that whole unique thing with Abraham offering Isaac on the altar. And remember what Abraham said when Isaac said, uh, Dad, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham said, don't worry, Isaac. God himself will prepare a lamb. Abraham was looking for the lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world, that would take our place, who would die for us. And Abraham longed for that day when Messiah would come. He knew the prophecy from Genesis chapter 3 that had happened long before his time, that the seed of the woman would come and crush the head of the serpent. And so Abraham, by faith, looked forward to the day when Messiah would come. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, these all died in faith, referring to Abraham and Sarah and Isaac. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. How is it that they could see these promises? Because they trusted God's word. Hadn't happened yet, but it would. They knew. They trusted these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed, we're just strangers and pilgrims on this earth. This isn't our, own, this isn't our home, we're just a passing through. And that was certain to them because of God's promise that he would provide a lamb. And Jesus says, John the Baptist had already declared that Jesus was the fulfillment of all of those promises. 
Behold the Lamb of God in John chapter 1 and verse 29. That takes away the sin of the world, pointing to Jesus. And Abraham rejoiced to see that day. So how come you weren't rejoicing? In essence, Jesus is saying. Prophets had predicted the how. Born of a virgin, Isaiah 7, 14. The where, Micah 5, 2, that he would be born in Bethlehem of Judea. The when, Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, give a pretty specific time frame as to when Messiah would appear. And the why, and this is woven all throughout all of the sacrifices and festivals and the teaching from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Uh, verse 15, on through, even into Zechariah, talking about Messiah coming to take upon himself the sins of his people, to provide reconciliation with God. So by the time Jesus actually came, around zero, you know, 4 B.C. when he was born, ministry probably 26 to 30, that time frame, A.D., there was, I mean, the expectations of the Jewish people had reached a fever pitch. And we know this from Dead Sea Scrolls that were found dating back to that time. There's a lot of Bible scrolls there, but also non-Bible scrolls where they're saying, boy, Messiah should be here. He should be coming. We should be looking for him. We should anticipate him. And Jesus, when the fullness of the time has come, God sent forth his son. And in the midst of all of this, they're missing it. Jesus isn't delusional. They are. And then we come to verses 57 through 58. And this is really kind of a high water mark in this gospel. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet 50 years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? I mean, come on, Jesus, you're not even 50, because he was like young 30s probably 33 or so at this point. You're not even 50. Why 50? Why was that so? Because for the Jews at this time, 50 was kind of like the end of your really profitable years of service. The Levites actually had to retire at that point. And once you got over the 50, you were kind of considered elderly. But wise, experienced, know a lot more. You're not even 50. How do you know all these things? I mean, have you ever met Abraham himself? That was 2,000 years before, by the way. And verse 58. And Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily. So here's his conclusion now. I say unto you, Before Abraham was, Before he was even born, I am. Folks, this is eternal God revealing himself. The I am spoke to Moses at the burning bush. The I am is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The I am existed before ever a world was. This harkens back to John chapter 1 that says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
that word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ is not merely man. Jesus Christ is not merely a good teacher. Jesus Christ is not merely a prophet. Jesus Christ is God. And you say, I don't know, you're kind of, you're probably making more of this than really ought to be made. I mean, it's just words. Well, look at how his audience responds. Verse 59. Then took they up stones to cast at him, because he, if he wasn't God, was claiming to be God and he needed to be killed. G. Campbell Morgan, in his commentary, said, These are the words of the most impudent blasphemer that ever spoke, or the words of God incarnate. Jesus could not have been narcissistic. He was all about honoring God and serving others. He couldn't have been delusional. Not only did he claim to be God, but look at all the prophecies that pointed to him. Look at all of the miracles that he performed that proved his claims. Look at the public testimony from the Father himself from heaven. Not to mention the testimony from his own disciples who worked with him closely for over three years. They all corroborate Jesus' claims. Oh, my friend, Jesus is not delusional. He's not some guy living in Nepal with dirty jeans and a ripped shirt sitting on the top of a mountain with long scraggly hair and a beard that says, I'm God, listen to me. No. All of the evidence corroborates Jesus' claim. Some people even say, oh, Jesus never claimed to be God. Uh, he did right here. And it was not lost on his hearers. So who is Jesus? A demon or deity? Well, the people in Jesus' audience of his day chose to believe the demon part. They sought to take the law into their own hands because this is what Leviticus 24, verse 16, And he that blasphemeth the name of the Lord, he shall be surely be put to death, and all the congregation shall certainly stone him, he shall be put to death. And they picked up stones to stone him, to put him to death. Because they knew exactly what Jesus was saying. I am God. Recently with this conflict, war, in Israel, there's been more attention put on a gentleman that's been called the Green Prince. Some of you have maybe seen or heard his testimony in the news recently. Typically they go to him when they want to find out more about Hamas. We'll call him Joseph. His name is Mossab Hassan Yusuf, Yusef, Joseph. He actually was the firstborn of the man who started Hamas. And this firstborn son of the leader of Hamas 
was being groomed to take over the leadership of that terrorist organization. And he followed in his footsteps, the footsteps of his father, religiously, literally, was jailed for crimes he had committed, and there in jail, side by side with other Hamas operatives, began to see the brutality, the senseless killing, really the pride and arrogance. And he began to question even Islam itself. Not long after he was released and he, the Lord brought him across the path of a Christian missionary who introduced him to Jesus Christ, who he really was, God incarnate. And in 2000, Joseph accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. In 2005, he was baptized and came to America for asylum. He now speaks for Jesus in the U.S. and against the lie of Islam. You see, there had to come a point in Joseph's life where he had to recognize and accept the fact that Jesus can't be merely a good prophet. He's either a demon of the worst order or God himself. And he chose God and it's made all the difference. So, what will you choose to believe? By the way, frankly, what you decide to believe doesn't stop Jesus at all. If you look at the rest of the passage, but Jesus was hidden from them, literally in the Greek. Jesus was hidden from them. In their, what could we say, in their blind rage, they could not see Jesus. And so it was that even though Jesus was right there, they could not see him because they'd rejected him. I've heard people, well, I mean, I, I just, I'm sorry, I just don't see it. It's not because the truth isn't there. It's because in our pride, we're blinded to truth. Somebody put it this way. There are people who believe there's no sun. S-U-N. But those people are blind. Who is Jesus to you? Well, you cannot say that he is merely a good man, a good teacher, a prophet of God, and not God. That option is not available to you. You either have to despise him as a demon or fall on your knees and worship him as your God and Savior. Those are really the only two options you have. And all the evidence points to his deity. This morning, won't you choose to worship him? Either make him your Lord and Savior, or act like he's your Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for this truth from your word, John chapter 8, as to who Jesus is. Jesus is the great I am, the eternal present, God, 
And if Jesus truly is God, then he deserves our worship. And for God to take our place on a cross, to bear our sins, he not only deserves our worship, but he deserves our love, our eternal gratitude, our service. And if the devil can't keep us from accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the next thing he'll do is to keep us from serving that Lord and Savior. To get us distracted with our lives, our pursuits, our dreams, and leave off from that which is the greatest privilege of all. Knowing your will and pursuing it. There may be somebody here today that has been comfortable to leave Jesus as a good moral teacher, a great prophet. I'm still kind of trying to figure things out. And really, today is a day of decision. Are you going to accept Jesus and his claims? Or are you going to reject and be blinded? Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today that has been wrestling with whether Jesus is in fact who he says he is, whether they've been wrestling about the truth of Christianity, reconciliation with you, Lord, oh, may they settle that today and just accept, trust your word. Maybe there's a Christian here today that's really wrestling with their life. Unlike Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, maybe our prayer often is, nevertheless, my will, not yours, be done. Maybe you're calling a young man or a young woman to full-time Christian service. And they're wrestling with that. Because they know there will be sacrifice, there will be difficulty. It's probably the loss of everything I hold dear. Again, that's just a lie that is propagated by the devil. But still, may we come to that settled conviction that not my will, but yours be done. And if Jesus Christ is in fact God, Redeemer, Savior, then he is worth our worship, our praise, our service. May we have hearts tender to seek to please you in all we do. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.